Well, good morning, church, and Merry Christmas. Boy, it is so good to be with you this morning, and we're glad you're here with us. If you're a guest with us this morning, you're in the right place, and we're glad you're here. Say thank you to somebody who brought you this morning, because you're going to have a great uh, morning. I hope you already are, as we've worshiped together, and you've enjoyed the glow sticks and the songs. It's just been a great morning already. Uh, my name's Ethan Magnus. I'm one of the pastors here, and just super glad to be sharing with you as uh, we launch our Christmas Eve services. You're here for the very first one. I love I love Christmas Eve. I love Christmas. I love the whole thing. I love all the the family stuff and the church stuff. I love the whole thing. Although I will say um, that that preaching a Christmas Eve service is always just a little bit tricky. I mean, not not that that's your problem. That's my problem to work out. But but it's true. It is always a little bit tricky. Everything else about Christmas seems to come so easily to me, but but the sermon's always a little bit tricky. Uh, I, I think it's because a lot of us come into Christmas already with a lot of expectations. You kind of know what's supposed to happen at Christmas. There's all this nostalgia built up around Christmas, and that by itself isn't a bad thing, all the tradition and the, the nostalgia and the habits. But it can happen, you know, that the nostalgia around Christmas, the, the traditions of Christi- Christmas can kind of swallow up and drive out the spiritual experience that God wants for you to have today. My guess is a lot of us are at risk of that today. You know, maybe you just showed up today to kind of participate in a Christmas tradition or to carry on some sort of cultural expectation, or maybe you showed up today to please your grandma or your parents or somebody like that. And it'd be easy for that sort of nostalgic, traditional, habit-forming, let's-go-to-Christmas-Eve-service sort of thing prevent you from what God wants for you, which is for you to have a real spiritual experience today and that is just so you know what God wants for you it's not that God minds the nostalgia or God doesn't like the tradition it's just that today what God wants for you and for your family is to have a genuine encounter with the living God who loves you It's not that nostalgia is bad. I'm a huge fan of nostalgia. I'm a big fan of tradition. I love the cookies and the caroling and the presents and the trees and the decorations and the lights. I love all of it. I love Christmas movies. My family, that's the way we get our Christmas season started. We were driving back from Pennsylvania where we'd been to celebrate Thanksgiving. And the way we knew it was officially Christmas was on the drive back. Uh, We watched that classic Christmas movie, Elf. Anybody else already watched Elf this year? Right? A few of you? Okay, a couple of you. If you haven't, it's not really Christmas yet, so get home, watch Elf, you know. Um, maybe you're more a It's a Wonderful Life crowd. Anybody watch It's a Wonderful Life yet this season? Okay, I see a few hands. Okay. You know, the interesting thing about Christmas movies for me this year, um, we have Netflix. Some of you probably have Netflix. And it is amazing how many of these kind of basically identical Christmas movies there are that are just kind of like nostalgia farms. Have you seen these, right? I had my son help me last night. He pulled up the little Netflix app on his phone and just, okay, so just in one little list of movies that were recommended uh, uh, for Christmas movies, there was The Christmas Crush, The Christmas Engagement, 
a holiday engagement, a Christmas wedding, the Christmas wedding, and just Christmas wedding. So all three, a Christmas wedding, the Christmas wedding, and just Christmas wedding. And then, of course, somewhere along the way, uh, to, make, to make it all the way from crush to engagement to wedding, you needed to watch Merry Christmas. Huh? That's, these are real. These are taken straight from Netflix. All these movies exist. Um, there's Christmas Baggage, A Dog Walker's Christmas Tale. I like that one. Uh, Christmas Ranch. And, and listen, and I'm not even making fun of this. Um, I love, my wife and I, we actually, we were looking for something to do tonight. We, we broke down and watched one of these. Uh, not one of those. We watched Smoky Mountain Christmas. And it was wonderful. We had such a good time watching this movie. And it was everything you would want Smoky Mountain Christmas to be. If you're already wondering, was the hero a bad boy country music singer who had left the small town to go off to the big city, gotten rich, came home in disgrace to make up with his old high school girlfriend and save the day with a Christmas concert that ended with Silent Night? If that's what you were wondering, yes to all those things. That's exactly what the movie was. And it was wonderful from top to bottom. Um, and, 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 and in the middle of watching this movie, um, something occurred to me. Something occurred to me. Um, Christmas movies always start in the dark. You know, they always, I mean, you know, some movies, you know, it starts and everything's fine and you kind of wait for things to turn into a disaster, but not Christmas movies. The Christmas movies, the disaster is like from the very first beginning scene of the movie. You know, I mean, the first, the first few minutes of It's a Wonderful Life are downright suicidal, right? I mean, it's a sad movie, those first few minutes. And again, Smoky Mountain Christmas, in case you're wondering, yes, you do in the first five minutes find out that the bank is about to to foreclose on the farm. That's the very first scene of the movie. You find out the bank is about, listen, spoiler alert, the farm is saved, okay? I don't, I don't want you to worry if you go home and watch Smoky Mountain Christmas, you know, what's going to happen to the farm? Everything's okay. The farm is saved. They make up. It's beautiful. Okay, great. All right, but, but every Christmas movie starts like that. Every Christmas movie uh, starts in the shadow, because when you're watching a Christmas movie, you don't want to watch things get bad. You already know things are bad. You want to watch things get better. And I think they're onto something. They're onto something about the Christmas story. Every great Christmas story starts in the dark. Every great Christmas story starts in the shadows. Your Christmas story starts in the dark. The Christmas story that God wants to be your story this year starts with the shadows. Because every one of us brought just a little bit of shadow with us today. I don't know anybody who doesn't live a life that just has a little bit of shadow in it. Maybe you brought some worry or disappointment from the last year that you just can't shake. Or maybe you showed up today with a relationship that's in trouble. And I mean, you know, you're going to fake it through the holidays and you're going to pretend like everything's fine. But you know that come January, that same relationship is still going to be there with its same problems and its same struggles. And, and the whole season is in the shadow of that relationship you don't know how to fix. Maybe it's with a parent or a child or a best friend that's 
not quite your best friend anymore, or maybe it's with a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and there's just a shadow over every Christmas cookie and every Christmas carol and every Christmas movie. Maybe the shadow this year for you is a grief, a grief that's just made worse by every bit of tinsel and every party you go to and every carol you hear. Even if things are going pretty well for us, and maybe you feel like, you know, I make that list, and you're like, boy, I'm so glad that's not me. And, and you're, you know, even when things are going pretty well for us, if we look around and we're honest, there's usually a little corner of shadow in our life, isn't it? And the bright lights of Christmas somehow just make it easier to find the shadows. Every great Christmas story starts in the dark and in the shadow. And when you're in the dark, when you're in the shadow, it feels like it will go on forever. That's my least favorite thing about walking in the dark is how you lose track of distance, you know. How long will I be in the dark? You know, I, you're, I get up at night, you walk around your bed, and you're like, okay, have I walked far enough? And you turn, and you ram your leg into the headboard, and you're like, no, I, I haven't walked far enough. You know, I didn't go far enough. And our lives are the same way. When our lives are in shadows, it feels like we'll be there forever. It feels like change is impossible. It feels like this addiction, this struggle, this turmoil, this grief will never go away. We will always be in the shadow. At least I expect that's what it felt like for the shepherds. The shepherds' Christmas story started in the dark, too. Luke tells it this way, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Literally, their story starts in the dark. There they are at the edge of town, in the shadows, in the dark, at night, sitting on the ground. It, we, we already know from Luke that just down the road from the shepherds, a miracle is happening in a manger. Just down the road from the shepherds, the Son of God is being born to a virgin to save the world, but they don't know it. They're sitting in the dark. And every reason to think they would stay in the dark. Because the shadows over these shepherds' lives was not going to be solved by the dawn. It wasn't just 12 hours and then the light would come. No, the shadows over the lives of the shepherds was so much bigger than the night itself. Shepherds were poor and isolated. They were rendered spiritually unclean by their work, which meant they couldn't offer sacrifices and couldn't participate in the ritual life of the temple. We, we can read some biblical texts that honor shepherds and talk about shepherds as a respectable profession, but that's not the way they thought about shepherds in Jesus' day. Shepherds were despised and rejected. Uh, one author from Jesus' day says that if you see a shepherd who's fallen into a pit, you shouldn't waste your time to help them out because they probably deserve to be there. Another author suggests that shepherds couldn't testify in court and shouldn't be trusted to make a business deal. They were rejected every way in their society. They were in darkness and shadow in every possible way, professionally, relationally, socially, spiritually. And their Christmas story starts like mine, and it starts like yours, in the shadows.
in the night. There were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And then suddenly, and then suddenly, the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You see, this is what God does in the life of someone who's trapped in the shadows. This is what God does wherever there has been darkness, wherever there is darkness, wherever there will be darkness. Our God says, let there be light. And that is what God does for the shepherd. But notice how the shepherds react when they first see the light. Notice what happens. The glory of the Lord shines into the darkness and they are terrified. Do you know that feeling? Do you know that feeling? You're in a dark room, you're in a shadowed space, and over time, when you're in the darkness long enough, you become comfortable in the darkness, don't you? You become adjusted. We say we adjust to the darkness. Our eyes widen. The darkness becomes normal to us. And then somebody comes in and flips the light on and we blink back and cover our eyes as if somehow the light is the problem and the darkness was our home. Well, this happens spiritually too. It's interesting. In the Bible, every time a person has an encounter with the divine, Maybe it's with an angel, or maybe it's with the glory of God, or maybe it's with the word of God. Every time a person has a direct encounter with God, their first reaction is fear. Every time someone who's been trapped in the shadows sees the light of God's glory, their first reaction is to be afraid of the light. And maybe with good reason. All of us who live in shadow have fallen short of God's glory. All of us have messy lives and imperfect lives, and maybe we don't want the light of God to shine so clearly on our life. I remember, I'm not sure exactly how old I was, 14, 15, somewhere in my middle teenage years, and I had been uh, told that evening as my parents were kind of, we were winding down for the night, I'd been told very clearly that before I went to bed, I needed to clean my room. Uh, these were not, this was not a vague suggestion. These were some pretty clear instructions with some pretty clear consequences attached to it. Before I went to bed, I needed to clean my room. But you know how the night goes. One thing led to another, and pretty soon I'd fallen asleep, and my room was no cleaner than it was when I'd been told that. The next morning, I had slept in, it must have been a Saturday, I suppose, and I could hear people around the house kind of bustling around, and then at this key moment, I heard my mom say, I'm going to go wake up Ethan, and all of a sudden I remembered what I'd been told. You will not go to bed while your room is messy, and all of a sudden I had this one clear thought, I cannot let her turn on the light. See, back in this day, I had those old-fashioned roller blinds, so my room stayed dark. Dark. Oh, I love a dark bedroom. My room stayed dark 24-7 unless you raised the blinds or turned on the light. And so as I heard her make her way down the call, I I knew it was just this clear. If she turned on the light, I was busted. 
And if the light stayed off, I was fine because she wouldn't be able to see how messy my room was and I'd have time to make it up. And so I stretched my you know, body and wiped the sleep out of my face. And as she came down, I was ready. As soon as she opened the door, good morning, mom, I'm up. So she wouldn't have to turn on the lights. And she didn't. And I was saved. I think we do that sometimes with God. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes we get used to our shadows. Maybe a little bit embarrassed by the darkness we live in, but we've adjusted to it nevertheless. Maybe you feel a little bit stuck and you'd like a way out. Maybe like the shepherds, you hadn't planned on living in the shadows. You hadn't planned on staying in the darkness. But at least maybe you think, if I stayed in the shadows, God won't notice what a mess. I've made in my life. Maybe somebody told you that you needed to fear God. I think a lot of people got that message somewhere down the road. They got the message that they needed to be afraid of God. They got the message that if the light of God ever clearly pierced into the darkness of their life, if the light of God ever clearly shined into the shadows of their soul, that somehow it would be the light of judgment. Or it would be the light of condemnation. It'd be the light of mockery or cruelty. Maybe you've even got that idea today. In fact, I wonder if maybe that's why we're tempted to to reduce something like this to just sort of a a once-a-year tradition, to reduce the Christmas Eve service to just some sort of cultural practice. Maybe the reason we're tempted to do that is because we know if we have a real spiritual experience and the light of God really comes into the dark places of our life that we're afraid that when the light comes, it will be the light of judgment. If that's your worry today, if the reason you stay comfortable in the darkness is because you're worried about the light of judgment, you need to know what the angel said next. As the shepherds who sit in their dark place are near blinded by the light of the glory of God, as the shepherds cower in fear, this is what the angel says, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, the world got brighter. There was a great company of the heavenly hosts appearing before the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace on those on whom his favor rests. You see this? This is God wants you to know this so clearly. God wants you to know this in every fiber of your being, that the light that the shepherds feared... The divine encounter that they thought would leave them judged and undone. It was their salvation. The encounter with God they feared would be their judgment was instead good news and great joy for all people. The light of God was for everyone and it was for everyone. It was on the side of all people. And this... This is exactly what God promised God would do. That God would come with a light into the darkness for the good of all people was exactly what God promised. 
Just a few months ago, through the the, the man Jeremiah, the father of John the Baptist, who was also a prophet of God, listen to what he prophesied. Because of the tender mercy of our God, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. If you're here today and you fear the judgment of God and you fear the scorn of God and you fear the bitterness of God and that's why you're resisting just trusting the light of Christ in your life, you need to know that what motivates the light of God is not the desire to highlight your flaws. It is not the desire to blind you so that you can't see anymore. No, the light of God is motivated by the mercy of God. That is the reason God keeps speaking into the darkness and sending light into the shadows is because our God is merciful. It is because of the tender mercy of God that the light keeps dawning in the darkness. I know it makes us squint. I know it feels bright at times. But the mercy of God is what motivates God's light. You see, when the light comes and we see the shadows so, of our life so clearly, and I know the light of God does make the shadows of our lives more clear. It makes our sin more clear and our doubt more clear. It does. But there's a curious thing about shadows. There's a curious thing about shadows. The presence of a shadow makes the darkness easy to see, doesn't it? But the presence of a shadow also proves that there is light. The the presence of shadows in our life, it bears witness to the darkness. It does. And it bears witness to an obstacle in our life that prevents us from getting to the light. But the presence of a shadow also bears witness to the light. And this is what God wants you to know about every bit of darkness and shadow in your life. It is not from God, it is not by God, but it does bear witness to the love of God for you. A life that is overshadowed by sin or doubt or fear or sorrow or regret or a dream unfulfilled or a cruelty from your past or or an impossibility of forgiveness, that very shadow bears witness to the light of God's love which seeks to enlighten the shadowed places. When your life is overshadowed by fear, Your life bears witness to the bravery that God wants to give you. When your life is overshadowed by doubt, your life bears witness to the possibility and the hope that is in the light of God's love. A friendship overshadowed by estrangement bears witness to the reconciliation that the light of God's love would bring to that friendship. A marriage that is overshadowed by despair bears witness to the hope that would come if the light of God's love were allowed into that marriage. This is the miracle of Christmas. is that whatever darkness you find yourself in is but a shadow. 
And if you would let God tear down the obstacle, the light of God is ready to come in and illuminate your life. Whatever darkness is in your life, the light of God is greater. You can be healed and forgiven and rescued. You are not stuck for every place of shadow in your life bears witness to the light of God. Come to illuminate it. John 1 promises is about Jesus. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I keep thinking about Zechariah's prophecy about Jesus. He says, because of the tender mercy of our God, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness, to those living in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the path of peace. I think about that prophecy, you know, a shadow. A shadow is whatever keeps us from seeing the light. And there's one shadow that all of us live under today. You know, in many ways, our lives are so different, but there is one shadow over every life that everyone has to figure out what to do with. There's one source of darkness in every life that blocks the light unless we figure out how to deal with it. And it's in that text right there. Those who live in the shadow of death. And the truth of the matter is, if the light of God can't overcome this shadow, well, then it's not enough light, is it? If, if the light of God can fix a friendship and give you hope, but it can't solve death, then it's not enough light. Our lives are still in shadows, just where they were at the beginning of our Christmas story. But the good news is, the light of God can conquer any darkness and drive out any shadow, most especially the shadow of death. This is why Christian worship is centered around this simple meal. We call the meal communion. It's a meal that remembers shed blood and a broken body. It's a meal that remembers death that conquered death. It's a meal that remembers light that drove out the one shadow that without which would undo us all. Everyone who is a follower of Christ is invited to this meal. In this meal we proclaim that the light that is the true light of the world has come that the dawn has arrived as promised, and that because of the tender mercies of our God, those who once lived in the shadow of death can now live in the light of Jesus Christ. Let's pray as we prepare to take this meal.
Gracious God, oh, we thank you for your tender mercy. For without your mercy, God, your light would be too much for us to bear. But because of your mercy, your light comes to us in love to drive out the darkness, to rewrite our story, to give us a story of light and life, a story where the shadows are cast out and the darkness is driven away, a story of hope and joy and life now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.